Tyler, are you a fan of New Year's resolutions? We had am, the New Year recently. Am I a fan of them? I, I would say probably no. I don't tend to make New Year's resolutions. What about you? Oh, interesting. I don't either. Uh, I'm, but I'm, <laughs> well, curious. That was a short I'm curious why. <laughs> That's it. Cue the roll, roll the roll the intro tape. Yeah. No. Uh. Uh. uh why? I, I. I'm curious if you have if oh, you have a reason. I don't have a well thought out reason, but I suppose big, like many people, philosophical high horse. Yeah. Or yeah. Like that. I suppose like a lot of people, I probably dabbled in New Year's resolutions as a younger person and realized that they never accomplished anything for me because I didn't. They didn't have any staying power, uh-huh. or there was no systems in place. Or processes in place to like make them a reality of just like a my New Year's aspiration, lose weight, or you, you know go. whatever aspirations. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that that is kind of how I feel about them as well, which is maybe maybe says more about me than about New Year's resolutions as a concept mm. themselves. Of just Fair. I see them as like aspirational, like non measurable thing, or like the pie in the sky kind of goals. Yeah, and so they never worked for me because I didn't. Uh, implement them properly perhaps but i i heard somebody once talk about using not january the new year but spring as a season of life as a as a time for setting goals and that kind of resonates with me a little bit more because the weather is more cheerful right the the world is waking (laughs) up like it's it's new beginnings out in nature and so that's kind of a like a springboard for your own renewal thinking about growth yeah i don't know well, that makes sense well you should try it my favorite like new year's uh a tradition maybe i don't know this is something private i don't like do it with other people it's just something i think about new year's is I, there's a poem called ring out wild bells i don't know if you've ever heard of that poem it's let me see who it's by yeah me. lord tennyson alfred comma lord tennyson alfred comma lord tennyson i don't know what that means Anyway, it's but a poem. Isn't that how his, how his name is written? Yes, it is. I don't know why the comma is in there. That's I just always thought that was unusual. But you just pulled that out of your brain like you knew that there was a comma? Yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. that's crazy. Steve, you know the <laughs> most random things. I <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. Uh, okay. I, I just Googled the, uh, the author of this poem and it's Alfred, comma, Lord Tennyson. And I was like, well, that's a weird typo. Well, apparently it's not a typo. Turn, turns out. All right, anyway, so read this poem. Well, I don't need to read the poem. You can go look it up if you want. Okay. But but the there's a line in there. I just love the sentiment of it because it's about the well, there's a line in there that says, The year is dying in the night. Ring out wild bells and let him die. Mm. And I just love that. It's like it's over. Last year happened, it's in the past, move on. And of course it goes on. There's like lyrics of hope and things, but I've heard it set to music a few different ways, and it's always like super somber minor key like depressing mm-hmm. sounding i'm like so it's kind of macabre it's kind of weird but i like the poem and i like the songs that it's turned into and it's it's kind of like yeah an interesting way to move on from the past i guess hmm. i like that over the last uh i don't know week or two i did a couple of journaling prompts of like remembering the year and it was kind of fun to look back uh, like one of them was uh it had you go through each month of the year and write down something big or important or memorable that happened in that month. And some of them were real easy to remember. And some of them I had to go back and look through my calendar and journal and 
find them. And it was really fun to remember like, oh yeah, that happened this year. And like a lot of things have happened this year and there's been a lot of growth. And that was nice to have a moment to reflect on that and see what has happened. But also this, this idea of the, from the Lord Tennyson poem, laying that to rest and like, that's all done. We're moving on to the new year. What are we going to do with that now? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Do you think you would have Okay, let's say you hadn't done this exercise where had you like purposefully go back month by month and think of like the best thing that happened in that month or whatever. Like, do you feel like it's easy to forget? And if you hadn't done that, you would just be like, well, I guess another year just passed and like, uh, whatever, time to move on. Yeah, it would have been easy to forget. We did a couple of episodes on here that helped me remember the business related ones, but there were a lot of like family related things and personal things that I maybe would have forgotten about or wouldn't have been as strong in my memory if I hadn't taken the time to go back and purposely remember them. Yeah, that's very cool. That sounds so like a good exercise. exercise. Yeah. Uh, I did a similar one. I had a question that I reflected on that was what were the biggest, the six biggest wins of the year? And actually, uh-huh. one of the six biggest wins I put on here is releasing 30 episodes of a podcast with Steve Nay. So you made the list. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honored. I didn't do the same thing that you did exactly, but it's interesting. I also took some time to reflect over through like all my journal entries and kind of pick out the highlights of the year, which I've never done before. And it was massively rewarding. I remembered so many good things that happened that I uh, wouldn't have remembered otherwise. And it just felt good to think about them during like a cold, dark winter's night. It's kind Mm -hmm. of refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Dear listener, hello. I'm Steve. And I'm Tyler. And this is another episode in a new year of It's Not About the Money, where we discuss a wide range of topics related to creating and running small businesses. Tyler and I both run small businesses like you, perhaps. And this podcast is our attempt to make sense of the world one episode at a time. So, Steve, I've noticed looking back at our past episodes that the ones that tend to resonate with our audience are, well, a lot of them have to do with like taxes, surprisingly, or bookkeeping or the more technical things that we talk about, which, you know. Well, that makes me feel good. Yeah. So you should feel good about that. I think people (laughs) are often maybe seeking information about those things. So today we're talking about how I have had somebody else doing my taxes for so long that I basically forgot how taxes work. And so it's a good opportunity for you to give me a primer or a refresher on how taxes work and review some important topics related to that. Okay. That sounds like fun. Well, fun for me. I don't know. Hopefully fun for you too. We'll see. I will survive. No, I appreciate our conversations on here about, about these topics because I genuinely learn a lot. Well, that's good. I thought maybe it might be useful to come at this from a perspective of like me five years ago still working a W-2 job, hadn't yet started a business, like what kinds of things would I want to know about taxes and how they work for me in that situation, but also what to be aware of as I'm moving into small business ownership? Does that seem like a a useful paradigm from your perspective? It does, because I think it's really similar to my paradigm and it will help kind of refresh my memory on (laughs) how both work as something I have to navigate still, like every other person. And, you know, if there's anyone among our listeners who is thinking about starting a business and maybe the transition from one type of tax situation to another, I think that could be helpful too. So yeah, let's do it. Okay. 
let's start with you have a W-2 job. Your employer is in charge of withholding taxes from your paycheck every two weeks, every month, whatever it is. Uh, they send that money to the IRS, and then at the end of the year, you file a tax return that says, here's how much I earned, here's how much tax has already been withheld, and then at the very bottom, you'll figure out, uh, I overpaid the IRS, and so I'm getting a refund, or I did not withhold enough, and so I still owe taxes. Okay, so can we talk about that for a second? Like, What are some scenarios where you may have... Like what would cause you to have underpaid since it's your employer who's actually withholding the money and not yourself? Mm-hmm. How do they know how much money to withhold? Good question. You fill out, typically when you start employment or when you have a big life change, you'll fill out a form called a W-4, which uh, it used to be like uh, you'd specify a number of exemptions. Like there's me and my spouse and I have two children. And so that, so they would add up those exemptions and then they would look up in some table, like what percentage of the income needs to be withheld from each paycheck. Uh, now it's slightly more complicated and the IRS has a little wizard that you can walk through that'll ask you for like hard numbers and it'll calculate it much more precisely. Are you talking about uh, this is for the employers who are withholding for, taxes or... No, this is for you as the employee. You fill oh. this in and give it to your employer, and then okay. they plug it into their payroll software, and it does the calculations for how much to withhold. Okay. And how you know how much control, if any, do we have over that? And also, are there advantages to asking them to withhold less or more? So the short answer is you can control it to a degree. You can, especially if you want to withhold more, there's a line on the W-4 where you can say also withhold X amount additional each paycheck. And so that could be especially useful if like if you are the W-2 employee in the household and your spouse runs a business that doesn't have payroll withholding and so you want to withhold extra to be able to cover their income, right? you can do that on your W-4. Just withhold it out of your paycheck. The advantages of withholding more during the year is that you're more likely to get a refund at the end of the year, which a lot of people like getting the refund because it feels it's like a little kind of windfall. A big... Right. It's a, it's a windfall uh, all at once, a big chunk of cash that kind of falls into your lap. You were paying it the whole time, but, <laughs> right. uh, but you notice it more. So depending if you like that kind of a reward at the end of a year, that could be useful. If you don't like giving the IRS an interest-free loan on your money throughout the year, whatever. You know, I don't. I don't find that argument particularly compelling, but it is technically true. Uh, then you might want to withhold less, like so that you're just right on the money. Exactly. You don't owe anything. You don't get a refund at the end of the year. I mean, it's kind of hard to do precisely, but yeah, yeah. Well, as someone who once, who as a W-2 employee, ended up owing a lot more in taxes than was withheld one year, I can tell you that psychologically, that is worse than getting a refund. <laughs> much, much worse. It was because of the sale of a home, but uh, uh, yeah. anyway, unfun. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's easy to forget that you are paying taxes all throughout the year and that when you come to file the taxes, you're just kind of reconciling mm -hmm. with the IRS rather than... Like especially if you if you owe taxes at that point, then you're like, well, where did this come from? Right. It, when really it, it, you've been paying it all along, and if you had just increased the withholding a little bit each month, it wouldn't feel so big. Right. 
I mean, you owe what you owe. You can't really escape it, apparently, you know, but... Right. There are some things you can manage uh, as far as deductions and uh, the size of your family and selling things or not selling them Mm -hmm. as far as capital gains, that kind of stuff. Uh, How much you contribute to retirement accounts, that kind of stuff. So there there are like some knobs and levers you can pull throughout the year uh, to change that, but... So can we talk about withholdings, which is what we've been talking about? Versus estimated tax payments. I don't understand what that means. So withholdings versus estimated tax payments. The idea here is um, the IRS would like to get the money throughout the year evenly as much as possible. And so uh, on a paycheck for a W-2 employee, that's built in the withholdings throughout the year. That's expected. But if you're a small business owner, especially when you're starting out, you may not be paying yourself on a paycheck, you're just, uh, the, the business is making money and having expenses throughout the year. And you're in charge of figuring out how much profit you're generating throughout the year and how much of a tax burden that's going to end up being. And you are supposed to be paying estimated tax payments every quarter throughout the year to cover that tax liability. When you're just starting out or especially small, this may not matter a whole lot. Uh, and especially if you also have a W-2 job and you bump up the withholding there, you might be able to get away with not doing estimated tax payments at all if you can cover the full tax liability with the withholdings. But once it starts to get big enough, there are penalties for not paying sufficient estimated tax payments throughout the year when it comes time to reconcile on your tax return. And so that's why it's a good idea to sit down and figure out what that's going to be and, and start paying that throughout the year. So that sounds like something that's different. Like you mentioned, you know, where you were five years ago was just a W two employee versus now as a business owner. That sounds like a big difference. Like the that is a big difference. The potential yeah. option to to make payments quarterly. Mm-hmm. I I have seen clients get tripped up on that, especially when they're just starting the business. They don't necessarily know that this is a thing that they need to be doing. So that's part of my job is is explaining like what is this and why is it necessary. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it feels kind of like an imposition of, you know, I'm, I'm earning this money and you're asking me to pay taxes on it and it's not <laughs> even April 15th yet. Right. Are there any like rules of thumb? Like I know it's your answer is going to be, it depends. I've learned that <laughs> you know me well. about talking about taxes, but are there <laughs> any guidelines or rules of thumb, like thresholds for when you would need to start making quarterly or think about talking to your accountant about making quarterly tax payments? Okay. So before I answer this, uh, what have you heard on the internet? And maybe we can uh, prove them right or debunk them. Yeah. So lots of, lots of folks get advice from TikTok that is sometimes correct and sometimes dubious. So I'm curious what you've heard on yes. this. Yes. So the TikTok advice that I've heard on this, there's a guy named Caleb Hammer that does kind of like an entertaining show where he audits people's finances. And sometimes mm. they're self-employed okay. and they haven't been paying taxes and it's just like a, it's a disaster. It's very good entertainment. I have no idea if it's like good advice, but he always tells people if they have their own business to set aside 30% of their income for taxes. So that's what I've heard from, that's that's my TikTok okay. education. So 30% of their income from the business. I think that's a good rule of thumb and I will, I will give you the it depends caveat here sure. now. Uh, uh, the tax that you will owe is on the profit from your business, not necessarily the revenue. Mm-hmm. So if you have expenses, those come out before taxes. And 
it will also depend on what your tax bracket is, right? Where the uh, how how what the percentage actually ends up being, but that is a good rule of thumb. And at any rate, I think it's a good idea to set aside like thirty percent of your top line revenue in a savings account for taxes. Whether or not you actually pay that throughout the year to the IRS, that that will depend a little bit more. But that you have the money available that when taxes come due, you're not surprised by it. It's not like, oh, now the business is going under because we don't have the cash to pay Yeah, us. it's better to have the money than to not have the money. It is better to have more than you need. But interesting, you're saying 30% of top line revenue is, is opposed to net, like after expenses. Well, is that just the, the after expenses is what you're actually going to owe taxes on. Right. So it's it's kind of like how much of a cash buffer do you have in the business? Would it be yeah, well, better for your peace of mind to set aside 30% of top line or 30% of profit, which is what you actually need? Yeah, it kind of depends. Right. Okay. Well, I'll just, I'll just say TikTok was right in this case, generally. Yeah. <laughs> as a rule of as thumb. A, as a general rule of thumb, I would agree with that one. Okay. And then it, we can get into more complexity of like the safe harbor guidelines of like exactly how much you need to pay to avoid penalties and all that. But I, I don't think we need to, those details yeah, in it, this kind of an episode. And it might be worth just throwing out there that like, cool, it's a rule of thumb, but in reality, you're going to need to talk to your tax pro about your situation and exactly how much taxes you're going to owe. They can help you out with that. So, Yeah. Uh, so when I run a tax return for somebody, one of the things the software will spit out for me is estimated tax payment vouchers which say like assuming that everything is the same this year or the same next year as it was this year here's how much you should pay each quarter and so that's kind of a another good rule of thumb and it's obviously going to vary depending on if your if your revenue is growing or shrinking mm-hmm. in the next year those numbers will not be accurate anymore but that's kind of the default thing that you can get out of the software from your tax pro so if they're not giving you at least that you can ask them for those numbers uh, and then it could also be useful throughout the year to say, here's the revenue we've made so far. This is our projections for the rest of the year. How does that affect our estimated tax payments that we should be making? Yeah. So already I'm starting to see, so as someone, like I said, I'm formerly also just a W-2 taxpayer. And so I've never really had to think about this before. And so the value of having a tax pro to work with on an ongoing basis as a business owner is really starting to make more sense to me at this point. (laughs) Because yeah, it's kind of complicated mm-hmm. potentially. It is like uh, at at the size that you are right now, you could still do everything in TurboTax yes. yourself, um, and especially if the business is running a loss. But uh, yeah, as you say, like as things continue to grow, uh, the having the advice of somebody who's uh, does this day in and day out to be able to look at your situation and and say right off the bat, like yeah, here are the things you need to pay attention to. And th- and these are the things that don't matter so much for where you're at right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Bring some sanity to the things you hear on on the internet. Yes, TikTok tax myths are are so fun. You know, there's because like a... like there, there's usually like a kernel of truth in there, right? And the and the answer is like yes, that is a good strategy for these kinds of situations, and it's a terrible advice for everybody else or or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so so that's a that's. The difference between withholdings and estimated tax payments yeah. that you're going to have to start paying attention to as the business income grows, and especially if it eclipses your W-2 income. Yeah. Okay, so now might be as good a time as any to talk about 
tax deductions and how that differs between a W-2 income and small business income? Mm, this is another great question. On the personal side, most personal expenses are not deductible unless the law specifies otherwise. And we had an episode actually on deductions recently that I'll yeah. put a link to in the show notes Cool, where we went through some of those, but roughly they're like home ownership, having children, retirement contributions, purchasing an electric vehicle, oh, right. energy efficient upgrades for your home. Those are, those are some that are currently in the law that uh, a few years from now may or may not be, or it might look different. Like this, this kind of stuff is changing all the time. Yeah. Depending on what we want to incentivize right now. Okay, so uh, speaking of the tax law changing all the time, can we talk about for a second how you literally texted me of a, a video of yourself opening your like what was that your tax law update oh, package with oh, I, have it right, I have it right here, <laughs> the uh, the tax book deluxe edition twenty twenty three tax year. Yeah, it's this this book. I don't even know how many pages long it is. It hundreds looks of pages. Hundreds of pages. Yeah. Of like, well, for practical purposes, the electronic version is more useful, but I like paper things. And so I thought I would buy the book this year just to have it on the desk. And I did actually open it today to look something up. Oh, amazing. Just a symbol of your massive knowledge. I know where to find the answers, even if the answers do not live in my head constantly. So just for just so people know what we're talking about. So I guess the tax code like changes all the time, right? It updates every year maybe or more often. And and so you, as part of your job, you have mm-hmm. to stay on top of all those changes so you know how to serve your clients. That's right. So so to give some examples, some of the things that have changed recently, it, there used to be a deduction for employee business expenses where like your employer requires you to do something and you would not otherwise need to purchase that for your personal life. You're just doing it because that's what your employer requires, but they don't reimburse you for it for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. It used to be you could deduct some of those kinds of things on your tax return as employee business expenses. That is no longer the case. Uh, I believe the, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act did away with that. And there, there were a lot of changes in there. That was just one of them. But the ones Uh, they wanted us to know about were the tax cuts and the jobs. And the jobs. Anyway. Right there in the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was also the one that uh, changed the corporate tax rates. So that was, that was kind of the big selling point mm-hmm. for business on that side. But anyway, uh, there was that. Uh, and, and then more recently, the energy efficient kinds of things, electric cars, um, home upgrades, those kind of things. There are incentives in the tax code for those that were implemented more recently and even since they've been implemented, they've been tweaking them slightly and changing like what kinds of vehicles are eligible, can is an as a used vehicle eligible, those kind of things. I actually just saw a headline today about that on The Verge, which seems to indicate the he- I didn't read the article, but the headline seemed to indicate that the number of vehicles that are qualifying for the full seventy five hundred dollar credit has gone down quite a bit. But it still exists for a number of them. It does. Uh, when we put solar panels on my house, there was certain you'd get a certain uh, tax credit as sort of a rebate for the amount that you spent on it, and the percentage was changing each year. Mm. So if you got it before the end of 2018, it was 30 percent, and then in 2019 it was going down to something. So that, those kind of things they're they're always getting tweaked a little bit. Okay, so what about for business deductions? 
business deductions, the, the general rule is if it is an ordinary and necessary expense, that's the IRS's verbiage, ordinary and necessary, then you can deduct it off your top line revenue before you get to taxes. So this is things like if somebody in a similar business would also agree that this is ordinary, like this, this is something that everyone else in your industry does, and it is necessary for the business to operate in in the way that you do or that is customary. That's you know, so it's it's a little bit uh, vague, but that's that's kind of what ordinary and necessary means because it depends. It depends on the facts and circumstances. Yeah. So, uh, but but that's the general test, and so if if it qualifies under that, if you can make a good case for it, if you ever got audited, then you're probably okay. That's not tax advice. Like, obviously, get individual tax advice from your tax pro, but that's the kind of the rule of thumb there. And so the the idea behind letting business expenses be deductible is. Uh, one that we want to encourage business, we being American society, I guess, want to encourage business. And uh, the other is that a lot of your expenditures as a business are going on to become income for other businesses and individuals. And so it's kind of, it's, it's money moving around the economy. Yeah. And so we will tax you on the money that you keep that stays in the business rather than everything that comes in the door just off the top. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it just incentivizes us to, or, you know, to spend money basically, right? Keep that economy going. <laughs> right. Yeah. And obviously don't spend the money just for the sake of getting the tax deduction because that's, it's probably not worth it just for its own sake. But if it, if you need that expense to operate the business, if it's going to make the business run better or bring in more customers or improve your revenue, then then yes, go ahead and do that. And then the tax deduction is a nice bonus. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so we've covered a few of the main differences or a couple of the main differences between taxes as a W-2 versus self-employed. And just to kind of summarize for myself here, one is you know the withholdings that happen as a W-2 employee. As, to, as opposed to the estimated tax payments that you may need to make, right, as a, a business owner, depending mm -hmm. on your profits and revenue. And then kind of some differences in what can be deducted, and that's determined by the law, and it's changing all the time. But generally, those are, are to incentivize certain behaviors that society has deemed useful or helpful. Yeah, that's a good summary. Anything else you want to add to Taxes 101? One other thing that I should mention, uh, at the beginning we talked about withholding on your paycheck. That's for your federal income tax burden. There's a couple of other lines on there that you've probably seen. One is for Social Security and the other one is for Medicare. Mm -hmm. Those two together are called FICA taxes, F-I-C-A. Not that you need to know that, but that's what they're called. Uh, and when you are self-employed, you're filing a Schedule C on your tax return. Uh, you have to pay those taxes too, still. But the 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 trick is, you have to pay both the employee portion that you were already used to paying on your W two, and you also have to pay the employer portion because what you may not have seen on the paycheck is that your employer is also paying the same amount on those two lines as they are deducting from your paycheck. 
when you're self-employed, you have to pay both of those. The employer portion, you get to deduct as a business expense, but you still have to pay it. So it's, anyway, that's that's uh, one of those surprises that uh, you might encounter starting a business and it feels a little unfair, but yeah. there it is. That actually happened to me years ago. I, I, I didn't start a business, but I did some freelance work, you know, 1099 contractor work for a company kind of on the side. Yeah. And uh, I remember feeling that unpleasant surprise. So it's better, you know, all disappointment comes from unmet expectations. So that's, I think, what we're trying to do here is like <laughs> set your expectations properly. Like there are some additional taxes involved in being self-employed, mm-hmm. right? And if you know that, you're not going to be disappointed or, you know, surprised in a negative way when it happens like I was yeah, the first time I did point. it years ago. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, going out on your own uh, is not... It's not all easy. Sunshine and rainbows. Sunshine and rainbows. There you go. Uh, Yeah, but kind of knowing what you're getting into will avoid some of those surprises. And that, you know, you still have to pay the taxes, but at least you know going in that you're going to have to pay them. So Yeah. The the way to avoid all of those taxes is to be unprofitable. (laughs) Right. So there's that. You know, it's funny you mentioned that uh, years ago also. (laughs) I was talking to my... the the guy who does my taxes. Um, and I was like kind of, I think at the time I was kind of on the the borderline of a new tax bracket, which was like kind of exciting. But I was like maybe nervous for some reason because I'm like, wait a minute. Like, because I, I didn't understand how it worked, right? So I was like, is there ever a scenario where it would be better to avoid making more money to like avoid paying more taxes? And he just looked at me and said, it's always better to make more money. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, good advice. Anyway. Yeah, funny you should mention tax brackets. We're not going to talk about those today, uh, but and they they get adjusted every year for inflation and other reasons. But uh, yeah, that's something else that we could talk about on some other episode. They're okay. they're they're not as scary as they seem, I guess. To to your point of yeah. like it's it's always better to make more money. <laughs> yes, you'll you'll still come out ahead even if you end up in a higher tax bracket. Yeah. So yeah. It's weird. I've heard that. Uh, I don't. I can't, where have I heard that in my life? I don't know. Friends, acquaintances, family. I'm not sure. Kind of like this kind of cynical view. It's like, oh, if you make more money, you pay more taxes. It's like, yeah, but yeah, that that's how it works. <laughs> but you also make more money, so <laughs> it's it's fine. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that'd be good. Let's let's do that. Let's cover that in a future episode because I know there's a lot of interesting nuance there that that makes it less scary about you know going up mm-hmm. into an, an, a higher tax bracket. So cool. Well, thanks, Steve. I mean, as always, I always get a few little nuggets when we talk about taxes. Uh, someday, if you're not careful, you might actually educate me on this. So, mm-hmm. thanks. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. You're doing your best. We'll get there. And hopefully for our listeners, this was also useful. You're welcome to email us anytime. Hello at notaboutmoney.com, whether that's tax questions or YNAB. Or just or to say hi, because like, we like you. Just to say hi. Yeah. Honestly, we love those emails too, so. Yeah. Send them in. We're real humans on the other end of this. Two nerdy humans. (laughs) We'll see you again on another episode. All right.